Welcome to the City's Arts Podcast, creating conversation at the intersections of art, faith, and culture. The City's Arts Podcast is produced by the City's Arts Collective. I'm Judith Haugen, your host for this podcast and the director of CAC. The City's Arts Collective is a new arts initiative located in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area in Minnesota. CAC offers opportunities for artists, such as book discussion groups, topical forums related to art, spirituality, and culture, craft workshops, and soul care retreats for artists. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 1. In this first episode, our goal is to introduce ourselves to you, to let you know who we are and what we're about, to allow you to kick the tires a little bit. We will spend time discussing the vision and values of the City's Arts Collective, as well as exploring points of deeper dialogue on the arts, faith, and culture. Thanks so much for joining us. I will be facilitating today's conversation with two people who are on the core team for launching CAC. Heather Walker-Peterson teaches at the University of Northwestern St. Paul and writes for universities The Well and The Mudroom. Brianna Rossiter is a writer and editor in the Twin City area. She holds a degree in music and teaches piano. I loved my time with these two women. It was so rich and thought-provoking. Here is my conversation with Heather Peterson and Brianna Rossiter. So welcome, Brianna, to the City's Arts Podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here. And Heather, awesome to have you here. I'm happy to be here, Judy. Great. Part of our goal today is to talk a little bit around the City's Arts Collective, who we are, what our mission statement and values are, as well as tuck in some conversation about faith, arts, and culture. So I'm going to read our mission statement and our values. I encourage you to listen for what stands out to you, what might feel important, even urgent, and why. The City's Arts Collective exists to cultivate the soul of the creative, by nurturing artistic expression and spiritual dialogue in creative community. Along with that mission statement, we have three values, conversation, celebration, and restoration. Conversation. We believe good art and authentic transformation are the fruits of meaningful discourse. Celebration. We believe in valuing and uplifting artists and their work as they seek to embody the beautiful, the good, and the true. And finally, restoration. We believe the work of the artist is to identify with what is broken around us and to seek its wholeness in order to support the cause of justice and human flourishing. So you both were in on the creation of these statements, but as I read them and you hear them again, What stands out to you? What feels particularly important to you? I think for me, a key part of the mission statement is community. 
I know that's something that's been very important in my own artistic journey. I primarily write poetry and play piano, and both of those are things that require you to be alone by yourself a lot. And and so on top of spending a lot of time alone, I often have felt fairly isolated, um, wondering if what I'm doing is working, if what I'm doing is worth it. And so to have other people to trade ideas with, to talk about how projects are going, or even just to, to spend time around and feel supported by has been really key. And I feel like Another important piece of community is like the exchange of ideas and perspectives. I know I've had opportunities to collaborate on projects I wouldn't have otherwise done, um, kind of arise out of conversation, and that's been really valuable. And I also feel like it's important to, to hear what others are thinking that creates good ideas for artwork, but also helps me expand my understanding of the world and maybe learn to think about things in new ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All artists need community. I think it's really easy to get too much locked inside ourselves. That happens for me. I stew in my own juices a little too much. For those who might identify with this, I'm an Enneagram (laughs) 4. So I really need to get outside myself and not feel so special all the time. So I think community is just vital for that. But one thing, Brianna, I would ask of you as a creative 20-something is it strikes me that young people who are creative need this kind of community pretty intensely. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I I think part of that is because everything seems more intense when you're in your 20s. You know, you feel like you're making all of these life-altering trajectory decisions and you haven't quite realized that like several of them are reversible and others will be fine either way and so everything feels really fraught and then on top of that like you're you're figuring out like what am I interested in as an artist how do I create space to to work on things when I'm no longer being asked to do it for homework how do I get the feedback that I need when I don't have peer critique group from classes anymore how have other people made careers where you know they were able to either make their art form their main job or they found another job that let them have evenings and weekends to work on their art form so even just having other people who you know have have made it for several decades creating things can be really valuable and encouraging and i believe that i think there are some young creatives who i think will just become discouraged and perhaps stop making art because first of all, making art can be hard mm-hmm. and you're not always going to get the kind of feedback or community appreciation that would help you to stay encouraged about it as you're learning your craft and trying to get your work out there. So when it comes to the City's Arts Collective, I feel that the encouragement of young creatives is something we really need to be about. And I think we can take that now and go to to conversation because what will happen with some of these young creatives is that they will have families. They may have young children. And one of the things I think about when it comes to conversation is that uh, after I had kids, suddenly doing art felt really selfish. And I found, especially with other mothers and fathers, as I joined a art group uh, some years ago, like they had the, the same thing because if they weren't doing something with their kids or if what they were doing apart from their kids wasn't something that created income for the family. And often with art, it 
either takes a while or it's not significant income, then this was a selfish activity in the minds of extended family members. And so there was actually a point where it was such a deep connection for me to not only be with people who talked about art and weren't thinking these ways that seemed only practical, but even were able to make, we can go to that word celebration, to celebrate the fact that I had the desire and was finding a way to make this life, to have this stream of time, to protect it and shelter it, to continue to do writing, even though it seemed to fly in in the face of maybe what someone thought I should be doing as a, a good parent. Yeah, so interesting. I feel like I want to pick up on that idea of selfishness because I think art is seen as non-utilitarian, which it is. I mean, it doesn't necessarily get things done in the traditional sense of that. And yet that which is non-utilitarian can also be essential. In particular, a lot of faith communities, especially those that grow out of that more utilitarian type of perspective can look at art and unless it's like a Jesus picture book or something like that it's not seen as valuable we do need a community of other creatives and artists who are aware of the impact that art has on culture and the potential of art to shape culture we need people like that in our lives to help us to keep going and to see that it's not selfish to be engaged in something that doesn't necessarily earn income, but is essential in more of a soul type of way and essential for good, healthy culture. I think that's where restoration comes in, that with opportunities for vulnerability, good art comes from places of vulnerability. And I think with those those opportunities in a safe place to share our vulnerability, to have our art affirmed, that is a culture changing thing because often what doesn't feel safe is where we're questioning some major assumptions that may be going on around us and where others, even in the church, even in our families, may wonder, well, that's not common sense. What are you what are you doing with that? I agree. I think we receive a lot of messages from you know people and groups around us uh, related to what is worth doing or who is worth listening to. And I think it's important to create spaces where people are f- free to show up as themselves and to be honest and to know that they can say what they're thinking about and their perspective will be listened to and seen as valuable. Yes. I love in the restoration value that we want to identify with what is broken and to seek its wholeness. Now, I do think there are broken things that can be fixed. Sometimes wholeness, especially around vulnerability and things that have happened to us in our lives, is simply embracing brokenness and wholeness is really to embrace. But doing both of those things to try to see what can be made better in me and in the world to support the cause of justice and the cause of human flourishing. I think there's a lot of people who think art has nothing to say or to do about those things. But in particular, beauty is a lot about what justice is about and human flourishing. And both of those two things require imagination and beauty, I think, to make them realities. Judy, isn't there a Hebrew word that ties that thought together? Yeah. Are you talking about tikkun olam? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, would you talk about yes, that for a moment? Yes, I love that. It's a Hebrew phrase, tikkun olam, and it means the fixing or the repairing of the world. In Jewish thought, this was seen as one of the vocations of God's people, is to move into those places that are broken and to bring repair, to bring restoration. For me, as a person who is a Christian, I definitely feel that vocation for me as a person in the world, but also as an artist in the world. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another question I have is, here we are putting in our time and our effort into this little fledgling arts organization. And I'm just curious, what are the impulses that draw you to be a part of CAC, to want to see the City's Arts Collective become a working reality in the Twin Cities? So I have a little story. I have a good friend who is a visual artist. And one of the things that he told me is that when he talks to church leadership, so I'm going to talk about churches. Uh Uh-oh, she's going there. (laughs) When he talks with church leadership, he visits a church, he's thinking about attending a church regularly. Either the church leadership does not know how to categorize him, like they don't know quite what to do with him as an artist, or he's asked to do graphic design for the website, or maybe he's asked to be involved in worship arts. You know, graphic design for the website and worship arts, that's a great thing. And actually, a lot of artists may appreciate that opportunity. But the kind of art he does would not fit either of those situations. And what he really wants is he wants to feel affirmed in his vocation as an artist. In his ideal world, sometimes it can be really hard to find an opportunity to show your art So he would love it if a church would, you know, provide a weekend to show his art. And often, unfortunately, church leadership doesn't know what to do that with that. Like, it's not necessarily, well, is it Christian or not? Like, what do they do with this art that feels actually maybe uncomfortable or some of his work is kind of dark or strange to them? But that's what he's seeking. He's seeking affirmation of his vocation. What I hear you saying is, is that an arts organization such as Cities Arts Collective is possibly moving into a blank space where perhaps the church could be standing and having to stand in the gap instead for it. Yeah, I would say there's a great need. And there are some churches that have done a really wonderful job with affirming artists. But I would say overall, many churches, I, I think, are flabbergasted about how to come around an artist. I think that's definitely true. I'm, I'm guessing around this table, there's we all have stories about that. I mean, I know in my own life, until very recently, like the last couple months, I had never heard a sermon from the pulpit that had to do with beauty. And I can now say that that's happened. But to go my whole life as a churchgoer and to never have beauty mentioned And in some ways, I can probably name a couple times where I've heard it denigrated, to not have it uplifted as a spiritual value, and not just one on the periphery, but a very central spiritual value to who God is, God's very being, is amazing to me in retrospect. Yeah, I agree. I feel like 
art and the making of art is one of the primary things that I love, one of the primary things that shapes the way I see the world. And so it can be difficult when a lot of people in my life don't make or process the world in the same way. Uh, It's hard for them to understand and it can feel really lonely. I know that there are a lot of really talented artists and musicians and writers in the Twin Cities. And and so I'm really excited to have a space where people can get together and share what they're working on and have other people you know, understand some of the challenges that they're facing or just come to gallery openings and things like that. Mm-hmm. When I was a much younger creative, post-college, I took some classes at The Loft because I think that's a great resource we have in the Twin Cities I read Madeline Lingle's book, Walking on Water, which is a book I still love. But I think I was looking for more. I was like, who can I talk to about this book? Where are there other places where I could maybe informally gather with other creatives? And those two worlds just didn't really come together. The art world and the whole idea of the spirituality related to the arts and beauty. So for me, the City's Arts Collective is the culmination of a great dream of having spaces where people can get energized the way I can feel energized by those kinds of conversations. And they're not just intellectual exercises for me. I feel as if my soul is genuinely enlarging when I have those kinds of conversations because they feel very core to my faith experience and my faith journey at this point in my life. So I'm excited for other people to enter into that kind of community where those kinds of conversations and that kind of celebration and encouragement can be happening. We're with you. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So I'd like to ask a question around the importance of the arts and along with that, the conversation between spirituality and the arts in the cultural moment we find ourselves in. We are living in a time where there feels as if there's a lot of divisiveness within our political culture, within a lot of churches, within other communities that we find ourselves in. So how do you think the arts or having these important conversations can speak into this situation in a generative way? One of the things that I love about art is how personal it feels. You know, if you read a poem by someone, you're trying on a new perspective or feeling an emotion or reliving a mini experience that they have. If you are listening to a piece of music, you're feeling emotions at the same time as other people in the audience. If you're reading a story, you get to try out what it's like to be another person in a situation. And I feel like these many different art forms are all so useful for Remembering that everyone is a a complicated human being, I think it's really easy to reduce people we disagree with or are afraid of or don't understand to just like them and think of it as a large group or a problem and that these individual expressions remind us that, that behind some of these ideas that feel threatening, there are people who we can respond to with compassion and that art can help us listen. And I would say that's when I think about our time period right now, it's often called post-Christian. And as you said, there's divisiveness, there's a lot of confusion, it seems. There's darkness and 
a response, you know, back in the early 1900s was to respond to what felt post-Christian by by getting entrenched. And when you get entrenched, when you build your little wall and, you know, you lob your little bombs and grenades over it, because of that wall, you don't see the people on the other side as human. I mean, you're really talking about empathy. Instead, you're like, these are bad ideas. I'm going to throw these grenades at those ideas. And you don't realize that by throwing a grenade by the way that you're doing it, you're actually hurting persons because you're, you're mm-hmm. instead of engaging in dialogue, you're hurting somebody. Uh, when I think about an entrenchment, my husband and I have been looking at, at private schools because we have a daughter with challenges and we're looking at this one private school and we found out in the handbook, and I can't believe this because I'm like, it's, can I date us? It's, it's 2020 in the handbook. It said that any nudity in the art books in the library has been covered with black Sharpies. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> all right. Uh, and so I think about young people growing up in an environment like that where they have been taught that all nudity is shameful, that, that these beautiful works of art should have little Sharpie bikini tops and underwear <laughs> put over them and how then are they able to engage with a culture <laughs> with with a post-christian culture especially for young people to be able to actually dialogue to understand empathy to see the image of god on others especially to see the image of god in those with whom we disagree who don't believe the same things that we believe. Art can transcend that and pull us together. I mean, in terms of, say, fiction reading, especially literary fiction, studies have shown that it does create a greater sense of empathy. Beauty brings us out of ourselves. And when we're, you know, we're able to contemplate it, we want to be with it, we, we focus on it. And Greg Wolf says, beauty tutors our compassion. And we're definitely in a time where I think we need a much greater level of compassion for each other. I think that very deeply felt, deeply created art helps us to know that we're not alone in the world, that the problems and the challenges that we face are faced by others. To feel as if we're not alone, to feel as if there's someone else who has experienced the same thing, and their art has helped me to name that and identify that more deeply in my own life, I think is very empowering in terms of creating that sense of community and that sense of compassion and empathy as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yes. If you resonate with what you've been hearing around the vision and values of the Cities Arts Collective, I invite you to check out our website at citiesartscollective.org. There you can find more information about who we are, track with our upcoming events, and sign up for our mailing list. In the second portion of my conversation with Heather and Brianna, we will be delving deeper into issues related to the importance of the arts and its generative power in our lives and in culture. I think one quote that might help us to go a little deeper into this 
particular part of our conversation is something I read very, very recently by James K.A. Smith, who is one the editor of Image Journal. And so I'd like to read that and just get your reaction to this little snippet from his editor's note from the latest issue of Image. He begins by quoting couple lines of poetry from Marilyn Nelson, and then he comments. Marilyn Nelson writes, The awe of the aesthetic experience, part of our universal inheritance, makes us basilicas of reverence. And Smith comments, I think this kind of hunger is familiar. We come to art with that paradoxical desire for an experience we can't manage. To become a basilica of reverence, one in whom the fullness of mystery resounds, is an experience of being decentered, upended. Awe is a posture less of comprehension than encounter. And I find myself reverberating with such awe more in the face of art than theology. Indeed, sometimes what I know of God is more of a barrier than a window. Amen. Can I note that he is a philosopher, right? So here's someone who does a lot of knowing. Knowing is his job. Mm-hmm. Right? Articulation about knowing is a huge part of his job. So here's a philosopher saying this. Yeah, I, I appreciate it because for me personally as a Christian, so much of my, my true faith, as far as my dependence on God comes in where I just have to trust and not try to control everything in knowing or through knowing or think that I have all my little dots and tittles correct in my knowledge. So my actual relationship with God is through that dependence, through that that faith. And that means then that, that art is a place that can help to bring me there to at least almost like a spiritual discipline. The aesthetic experience could be a spiritual discipline of not being able to manage my knowledge (laughs) around an art piece to sometimes go, I don't know entirely what the author meant. I know how this makes me feel right now. I know I have questions, but I don't, and I don't have to know exactly what the artist was trying to do. I also really love this quote. It was making me think of how when a choir performs in a cathedral, there's this moment after the piece has ended when the voices echo all the way back to the room. And and so I was thinking about resonance because I feel like that idea is central to both how I understand faith and what I love about what I consider to be good art is that you know, something inside you, maybe for even reasons you can't explain, recognizes that something is true or it recognizes a feeling that someone else has articulated in a story. And you think, oh, me too. I've also felt that. Or sometimes you receive a perspective or an idea that you didn't even know you had experienced and it names something for you. I think that naming things is really important because it allows us to look at them and and that art kind of performs these two different functions sometimes it names things that we didn't know we were experiencing and sometimes it gives voice to things that are wordless and that we can't articulate Mm. but we can feel them and we can feel them together or maybe 
it, it de-centers what we've named before. We recognize that the name didn't fit it and we're gonna have to rethink things, right? I mean, I love that idea of de-centering. I think that's something good art does for us is that it decenters us or it has the potential to make the familiar unfamiliar, which is another way of saying that, and help us to see it, and I think this was expressed a little bit in what you both were saying, help us to see it in a fresh new way that helps it to come alive for us in a, in a new and different way. You know, Judy, you and I, I think we read the book, Elaine Scarry's On Beauty and Being Just, and I believe it's at the end of that book where she talks about the importance of art being radically decentering mm-hmm. and how that actually brings about justice, that we need that radical decentering of beauty when it comes to justice. In general, I don't think change really happens in our lives until we are decentered, and particular radically decentered just upends everything. Mm-hmm. We are more willing to go with the status quo if we are not having those upended experiences, as Smith says it, and being dissentered. One of the things that caught me around Marilyn Nelson's lines was the idea of being a basilica of reverence. And I don't completely know what that means, but I know that's how I want to move through the world. And I also know that there is no way that I could move through the world in anything like that phrase apart from my work as an artist, as a writer, and apart from being a person who wants to be exposed to art and to be taking it in from other people. There's Smith talks about awe around that and to be having a place where mystery resounds. And I really, really resonate with that. And I am big on awe. I think we should be walking around in a state of awe most of the time. For me, awe is a prayerfulness that is not necessarily aware of itself. Some people can go to the Grand Canyon and have this complete experience of awe. Some people go to the Grand Canyon and see a big hole in the ground. I want to live in a way that can see more. And I cannot do that apart from art and beauty. So one of the things I love about what you just said, the idea of awe, of needing to live that way, the, the idea of being a basilica of reverence. Like what I, One of the things that I hear in that is that as an artist, you are really aware that you are not a brain on a stick, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. that you are embodied mm-hmm. and that in the way God has created you, your embodiment is important. It's not just what you know in your head. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think this goes along with that in a sideways kind of way, but I also see this Basilica of Reverence. Basilicas are these huge, expansive places. So much of a lot of the construction of some of those old-style cathedrals was around giving human beings some kind of example of what transcendence feels like. We need to have that sense of transcendence. I think we were built for it as human beings made in the image of a creator. Art is one of the few ways that we are able to get there, which is why, for me, a spirituality and art discussion absolutely makes sense and is essential 
because art is all about getting us out of ourselves, that decentering. I think transcendence is a little bit about that, but also realizing that maybe the whole really is more than the sum of the parts. And I think there's always more going on than we can even comprehend. That's mystery. And that's the kind of world I want to live in. I don't want to live in a world with experiences that I can manage. Mm -hmm. And to use Smith's words, we have that paradoxical desire for experiences that we cannot manage. All right, I'm going to throw out one more quote as we get ready to close to see what your thoughts are around a quote from R.P. Blackmore. So R.P. Blackmore is speaking of poetry here, but I think his idea can be expanded to all of art. He writes, the art of poetry is amply distinguished from the manufacture of verse by the animating presence in the poetry of a fresh idiom. Language so twisted and posed in a form that it not only expresses the matter at hand, but adds to the stock of available reality. But what are your thoughts on that? I absolutely love the phrase adds to the stock of available reality. I feel like that is so true. First, because we've talked about this a little bit, that different art forms often name or identify or help us feel experiences that we were maybe not aware of before. We also talked a little bit about how thinking is, is only one way of knowing, knowing God in particular, but also knowing other things. And so I think art gives us many different ways of knowing, all of which are important and valuable. And also it lets us try on and listen to and hear and see the perspectives of many different people, all of which are important and valuable. And so we come away from it much richer, and not just in terms of what we understand or perhaps know we can't understand, but in the views that we can have compassion for. Yeah, so this, this quote excites me. <laughs> I love this quote. <laughs> I am such a, a language geek as you to know. And the first time I read this quote, I immediately thought of a book. It's a European book and it's, it's called Creating Worldviews. An author named James Underhill, is uh, he's writing about how we use metaphors in language all the time. And one of the things that he writes about is that we have to play with cliches, that if we don't play with cliches that we might be agreeing to some big ideas that we don't even realize that we're agreeing with and he takes it really far like he takes it to like analyzing Nazi rhetoric <laughs> things like that but so that's a huge far step but at the same time I think what it shows when we use fresh idiom is that artists are people who influence cultural change they have that kind of a power poets. I mean, think about all the poets in the past that we've read about who were using their poetry as resistance against authoritarian governments and, and other kinds of artists. I mean, think about them trying new, exciting things, right? Maybe in the former Soviet Union. And it's like, oh, that's Western. You can't do that. But how that art must have challenged the people 
around those artworks. So artists are agents of culture change. And part of that is is pulling a curtain back of maybe cliched language, cliched imagery, and revealing a reality that isn't always pleasant, but is important and will transform us. Yeah, I love both of what you guys had to say on that. What I, what I read in this quote, first of all, is a lot of hard work to create art that is not just expressing the matter at hand, meaning doing something in a competent, clear way, but doing something that is a deeper work, which requires an investment beyond technique, obviously. One of the things that I believe is that for my work to be the best it can be is to not just be focused on technique. Technique is the starting gate. It's not the finish line. Good technique. But I need to make my whole personhood available to what I'm working on in terms of both energy and technique and but also emotion and heart and meaning which is vital you know what does this mean and is there a larger meaning to it so I agree that when we are able to put in that kind of work there is an adding to the stock of available reality because I think beauty is going to guide us into greater reality and a sense of transcendence and to be able to see more and art has the power again to do that cultural work of creating new spaces to see things differently, to realize things that we never realized before, and to potentially live differently because of that. Judy, this has been such an exciting conversation. It has. And I just thank both of you guys for taking the time out to talk about the City's Arts Collective a little bit. But beyond that, to talk about what is underneath and holding up the whole idea of this little arts organization that we're attempting to start, that there is something really good and rich underneath there. I think it's not just us who feel that way. Yeah, I feel like talking about art and how it helps us understand reality or the importance of conversation is just really meaningful and really important. So Judy, you were talking about how crafting good art takes a lot of work but that at the end of the day, it's it's not the technique necessarily. That's the end goal. It's the meaning behind it. I was thinking about some of the poetry that I've been writing recently. And I, I feel like by the end of the process, the poems know things that I don't. And so part of it is that the perspectives help us by taking in the perspectives of others learn new things. And I think the creative process also can be a way for us to learn new things and to grow and that's something that's been transformative in my own life and I'm so excited to create spaces for other people to experience that too. Hmm. That is a great way to end so thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Scott Munson. If you resonate with what you're hearing please consider subscribing to the podcast. I'm excited to bring you compelling and engaging artists and thinkers in future episodes. Thanks so much for listening, friends, and never doubt that your creativity is needed in the world.